Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, who's going to win tonight? It's either going to be, I, I know of two teams that are in the running, Falcons and the Patriots. Do you think they have a mission plan designed to see them become successful? I'll guarantee you, anybody that's ever played sports, I'm sure all the guys and gals who have played on sports teams, uh, they go into that game having a plan, knowing what is it going to take for mission uh, to be accomplished. Church is the same way. For a church, for a mission to be accomplished, there's got to be a game plan. There's got to be a strategy. And for us, the church, obviously, for mission to be accomplished, it's got to take the sovereign hand of God, and it's got to have a group of people who are obedient and faithful to what God has called them to do. Interesting statistic, however, is that within the local church, in America anyway, you have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And this is exactly what happened in Jerusalem. Years ago, 586 BC, when Babylon came in, the Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem, tore down the walls, tore down the temple, took people captive, and left it in utter dismal desperation. There's a prophet by the name of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel prophesied during, it was before the time of the Babylonian captivity, during the time, and after the time. And Ezekiel captured the prayer and thoughts of God when he wrote this. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is the answer to God's longing 150 years earlier. Listen to Ezekiel 22. Verse 30, and I, I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So that was expressed by Ezekiel 150 years earlier, looking, longing for somebody who would stand in the breach, who would repair the wall. In other words, I am longing to find one man whose heart beats after mine. I'm longing to find somebody who is so absorbed in my mission that they are willing to go where the battle is the fiercest. It was a number of years ago. In the 1800s, there was a great Civil War general by the name of Turner Ashby who was noted for always saying to his troops, ride to the sound of the guns. Go where the battle is the fiercest. It's exactly what happened in World War II. In December, December 16th, 1944, when the Nazi Germany was, this Battle of the Bulge, was pushing, pushing, trying to break the line. It would have been the turning point of the war had they broken through the lines. And the Allies, America, the Americans along with the Allies, stood at the bulge, stood at the breaking point. They rode to where the guns were the loudest. And they fought. They fought for almost a month there and held the line, turned the war around. If you were to go to NRG Stadium tonight and sit there in the stadium, you would be filled in a stadium of about 72,000 people. Do you know how many at the Battle of the Bulge where, where they charged to where the guns were the loudest, do you know how many American casualties there were at the Battle of the Bulge? 89,400. 89,400. 19,000 deaths 
3,000 civilians killed because they were willing to ride to the sound of the guns. 500 years ago, Martin Luther. Everybody loves Martin Luther. People love to be Lutheran. People love to go to Lutheran churches. People love to study about Luther. But very few Christians are willing to do what Luther called us to do. You know what Luther said? He said, unless a soldier fights where the battle is thickest, at the breach, he is a well-clad coward. One of the greatest challenges in the church today is for there to be an entire revolutionary turning of what our minds think about when we think of getting mission accomplished. We think, well, we'll hire more staff to get in there and fight. Send them. We'll hire people to stand where the guns are the loudest, where the walls are falling down, where there's a breach in the wall. And it's exactly what the Bible says for leaders not to do. The Bible says clearly, Ephesians 4, he gave all different kinds of leaders. He gave apostles. He gave pro- So no leader's going to look the same. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors. He gave teachers to equip the saints to run to the breach. To equip the saints Otherwise, it's going to be 20% of the people trying to do 80% of the work, and it will never, ever happen. So tonight, you've got people who have spent oodles of money to watch this game. You know, cheap ticket, $4,000, $5,000. The more expensive tickets, up to $25,400 if you're buying a ticket on, in Section 138, Road 22. $25,400, and on the internet, you can get them up to $40,000. Now, how do you think you would feel if you spent that much money to go to the game? You go to the game, and the teams get down there, they huddle up, but they never break huddle. All they do is sit there on the field talking about the game. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we get to win? Oh, it should be nice if we got to win. And oh, let's let's review our plans again. But they never line up and scrim it and hit. Would you be a little bit ticked? I mean, how, how would you feel if only 20% of the players on each side decided to actually play football? You'd have... Quick math, 2.2 players on one side, 2.2 players on the other side. You'd have a total of 4.4 players on the field. Now, there'd probably be a lot of people pay pay good money to see that 0.4 person, what they would be doing. Um, but, But it would be so frustrating. And that's what God has called leaders to do. Equip people to run to the sound of the guns, to run to the breach, This is one of the privileges, and I, I, one of my greatest joys and privileges has been able to work with leaders here at Parkview, whether it be pastoral staff, whether it be lay, lay elders, lay staff. Uh, it, it has been so much fun, deacons and deaconesses. And I just want to urge you, I mean, if this message should inspire you, man, I, I would love to help equip. I would love to help lead the charge. 
we, on the Connect counter, there's a, a sign-up sheet. If you want to just at least find out more about what would it be like serving as an elder, what would it be like serving as a deacon or a deaconess, please sign up. As you go out on the right Connect counter, just sign that up. We'll get in touch with you. It's not too late. I mean, if you're here and you want to, there's a, a meeting right after this. You could actually get involved in it. Would be, it would be awesome. But So we're in this study of Nehemiah, okay? And uh, what we're going to be doing is talking about what does it look like for us as disciples of Jesus Christ when the huddle breaks. So let's look at Nehemiah. I want to review real quickly. In other words, what does a disciple look like who runs to the sound of the guns? What does a disciple look like who runs to where the wall is collapsing, who runs to the breach? And we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah. Now, I want to make this real clear. When we study the book of Nehemiah, 95% of churches that go through the book of Nehemiah are going through the book of Nehemiah because they're right in the middle of a building program, you know, and they got to get this sucker built. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I am saying, I believe the more accurate, fuller or picture of Nehemiah, because in the Old Testament, it was very real. The temple and the walls, all those were extremely symbolic and very, very meaningful. But they were all pointing to the New Testament where the temple is in your heart. Paul says that specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where he says, you are, the, you are the temple of God. So don't get stuck. It would be easy to go through Nehemiah and get stuck on programs and buildings and policies and procedures. I want us to think beyond. I want us to think not so much program, but I, I want us to think people and, and suffering and struggles that they're going through. There are people that live all around us where their heart, the temple of their heart is falling apart. They don't know what ends up because they don't know Jesus Christ. They're, they're, the walls of their marriages are collapsing. Financially, they're collapsing. Emotionally, people are collapsing. We talk to people every day who are in, are in that kind of a situation where their lives are crumbling. And as believers in Jesus Christ, you need to run to the breach. Run where those walls are collapsing. You are the one. You are the good Samaritan who not only sees a need, but runs to that need, meets that need that only you can meet. And it's going to look different for every single person. And as leaders, our job is to equip you to run. You don't pay us to run. We equip you to run to the breach. Okay, so real quickly, a disciple who runs to the breach, real quick review, cultivates a heart that beats after God. That's Nehemiah. His heart is just pulsating. He's weeping. The, the ruins of Jerusalem is crushing his heart. And I pray that the ruins of people's lives that are surrounding us crush our hearts to the point where we want to, we beg God, we pray to God, and we run to help meet their needs. A secondly, a disciple who runs to the breach is dependable and takes responsibility. Nehemiah begins even by confessing his sin, confessing the sin of his family, confessing the sin of the people. Thirdly, a disciple runs to the breach is available. So you see the prayer in chapter 1 leading to action in chapter 2. So we see even in chapter 4, he prays to God and sets a guard. 
remember the Lord, and he fights. So there's availability. <coughs> Fourth, a disciple who runs through the breach is dependent and obedient uh, to God. Everything, is, everything he does is based on his obedience to God. Specifically, Doug covered this last week in chapter 2, verse 12, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do. He was obedient to God. Fifthly, a disciple who runs to the breach is willing to get off his knees and risk. And Doug talked about that last week. He, he, he was willing. He, he's number two in the whole kingdom. I mean, he, he's a cupbearer. And he goes before the king, and he's sobbing. And he has these massive requests to lay before the king. He, was, he got off his knees and he risked. Sixthly, a disciple who runs to the breach is a catalyst. He motivates people to action. Doug talked about that last week as well, how he motivated people to, to get something accomplished in 52 days that would, that would seem if 20% of the people were doing it, would never get done. Seventhly, a disciple who runs to the breach is not only a person of faith and action, but a person who loves the people. I mean, that's where it's got to start with us. It, it, we're not talking brick and mortar and physical temples. We're talking about people, loving people whose souls are, are torn apart, who the walls of their lives are collapsing. He loves it. Matter of fact, he loved them so much, that's when, when he went into Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes looks at him in one second and it was against the law for him to even be sad. He could have been put to death because he was sad in the king's presence. Thinking, you know, everybody should be happy to be in my presence. And he was sad. And he says, why is your face so downcast? His heart was breaking for the people. It was breaking for Jerusalem. Matter of fact, we got to chapter 5 and we see his heart, Nehemiah's heart was breaking for the poor. He says, what do we got to do to run to the aid of the poor? People were taking advantage of the poor. They were charging exorbitant interests. They ran to their aid. So you see them, this, in chapter 1 you see him praying, chapter 2 you see him motivating, chapter 3 now you begin to see him organizing. And so this leads us to the eighth characteristic of a disciple who runs to the sound of the guns. A disciple who runs to the breach is a person who organizes effectively in order to see mission accomplished. And so in Nehemiah 3 is a wonderful picture. You, you, have, you have almost everybody running to the breach. You have almost everybody working together. It doesn't matter their gifts, doesn't matter their abilities, their skills. Uh, everybody's working together. And you look at this book, just this chapter, and just this chapter. You know how many names are in this chapter? A couple of them are repeated twice, but... There's 74 different names here. 41 of workers themselves. There are 33 dads referred to here. 74 different names in this, in this book. And you know what? The amazing thing is they're not mentioned anywhere else. Maybe if we're linking the right people with the right names, maybe a couple of exceptions. Um, but they're mentioned nowhere else. And they're enshrined forever. Millions of believers have read their names because they were faithful to run to the sound of the guns. So our job as staff is not to rob you of the incredible thrill of ministry. But it's to equip you to enjoy that thrill. 
So let's talk about these disciples who run to the breach, who organize for action. They, they get on the, and the first thing you see them doing is confessing their sin, getting on their knees, risking, motivating. But I'll tell you what, motivation without organization will only lead to frustration. And I think that's a very real part of being an elder or, or deacon or deaconess is helping to organize some of the running to the gun. Some of, some of the ministry, they help organize it and lead that charge and, and help with the strategy there. It's a very real opportunity for us. But what I want you to see is that every principle, it's an easy chapter to read except for the names. You will mess the names up, I guarantee. Unless you speak Hebrew, you will slaughter the names. But read them anyway and, and note that these people's names are written down in the Word of God nowhere else but because they are faithful. But what I want you to see when we read through this is that you can apply, there are a number of great principles of organization throughout this chapter, but realize you can apply this. When I think of my wife, Cheryl, she applies every one of these principles in our home. Every single one she applies in our home. If you're, if you're on a team, every single one of these principles would be applied to a good sports team. I, I think of Kurt Ferentz. When, when I think of this, I think of Kurt Ferentz all the time. Uh, our kids played with their kids, so I got to know him. And Incredible coach. Um, so wherever you are, whether it's at work, dealing with employees, and we're, we're going to start to get into some, some of the... Uh, obstacles in the next few chapters, and that'll be interesting too, but please apply them to your own life, okay? First of all, the, the, let's look at the principle of simplification. Just keep it simple. One of the favorite books that we've read as a staff is called Simple Church. In other words, find out what do you absolutely do best, minimize the other stuff, focus on what you absolutely do best, and that's exactly what, what Nehemiah did. Uh, Nehemiah kept it as he, in other words, he didn't over-organize it. Right. So look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their sword spears and with their bows. So if you don't need to organize it or over-organize it, don't do it. The strongest organizations awful time, oftentimes are the most simple organizations. The largest church, evangelical church in the United States has, is a church of 75,000 people. 75,000. Now they're in 26 different sites. But, uh, but their mission is extremely simple. They worship, they have community groups. That, now, I know I'm oversimplifying it. But they're very simple in their strategy. Extremely simple in their strategy. Uh, secondly, the principle of participation. So whatever you're doing, keep it simple. If you have a neighbor whose walls are falling down, you know, it might mean cooking some brownies or some cookies or, or actually giving them something that's healthy. <laughs> or it could be helping them with the snow or anything like that, engaging in a conversation. Keep, just keep it simple. It doesn't have to be massively complicated. Secondly, the principle of participation. And that is, Nehemiah, we're going to see there are a few people who really weren't wanting to work, but he worked with those who wanted to work. I think too many leaders spend way too much time trying to corral the lazy and the apathetic. Uh, but chapter 3, uh, we find out that almost everybody, almost everybody really wanted to work. Everybody except for one little group. And it's too bad. 
verse 5 of chapter 3. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not... I love it. Well, I don't love it, but I love the way they put it. Their nobles would not stoop. It didn't say they wouldn't stoop to pick up a trowel. They wouldn't stoop to pick up a sword. They wouldn't stoop to pick up bricks. But they wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you're lifting bricks. It doesn't matter if you're washing dishes. It doesn't matter if you're sweeping. It doesn't matter if you're mowing. It doesn't matter if what teaching. You're serving the Lord. If that's your gifts, your gifts, your calling, you're serving the Lord. But these guys wouldn't stoop to serve. And I'm thinking, how opposite that of Jesus Christ, who emptied himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. It's the exact opposite. The way up, Jesus says, is the way down. He stooped to serve. But these guys wouldn't do it. And nobles of Tekoa can come in a couple of different colors, so to speak. They can either be those who want to impede action, or they can be those who just don't want any action. They, they just want to spectate. And there are all kinds of excuses. I've heard a million of them through the years. I, I don't have the time to do it. I don't think we should do it this way. I think we should do it that way. We've never done it this way before. We don't have the money to do it. I, I've got my own set of problems. You know, there are all kinds of things. But in every project, I mean, bottom line, you boil it down, you either have workers or you got shirkers. One of the two. And uh, God is calling us to equip people to run to the breach. Run to the breach. And again, I love Martin Luther. Unless a soldier fights where the battle is thickest at the breach, he is a well-clad coward. And we want people at Parkview who are not cowards. We want people who, at Parkview who are wanting to run to the breach. Not necessarily get involved in this ministry, get involved in that ministry. I mean, it absolutely would include that. But more importantly, it's not project, it's people. You run when God brings somebody into your life where their walls are falling down. You run to their life and you help them. You run to their lives and you give aid. I think that's what the New Testament is so clear about. You love everybody, but you move with the movers. That's participation. Thirdly, the principle of delegation. Divide and assign. He divided up specific tasks, and he assigned the different people. Thirteen times, there's a key word here. There, Thirteen times the word section is used. He divided the whole thing up into sections, working around counterclockwise. He delegated beautifully. So principles of delegation break down uh, your major goals, break them down into smaller tasks. In other words, Nehemiah didn't say, well, there's the broken down wall. Go put it up. No, he said, okay, we're going to divide into smaller sections. We're going to divide it into smaller tasks. You take this, you take that. Develop clear job descriptions. He had those with swords, those with um, trowels, those with uh, bows, those with you know, different, different implements. They had clear job descriptions, and he matched the right person with the right task. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a variety of gifts, the same spirit. There are varieties of service, the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
So simplification, participation, delegation, fourthly, the principle of motivation. And that is, you, if you can just allow for ownership, they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. In other words, give people ownership. Don't, don't micromanage. Once you turn this over to somebody, don't sit there micromanage. Let them run with it. And that's exactly what he did. So you have in verse 10, Jediah making repairs opposite his house. Benjamin and Heshub repairing in the front of their house. Verse 28, you have the priests repairing in front of their house. Zadok, verse 29, repairing in front of his house. Meshalom, verse 30, opposite his living quarters. In other words, if you're going to motivate people and you're going to keep them interested and you're going to get, you're going to inspire them to work and run to the sound of the guns, they've got to be motivated for some reason. Well, he's saying, well, look, there's no greater motivation than here's your family. Here are the people that live right around you. Go for them. Build a wall to protect the people you love and, and that you care for. Do that. I'll tell you what, if you try and plug somebody into a role where they're really not divinely fitted, you're always going to get minimal results. And so he, he did what was necessary to keep him going. So a number of years ago when I finished my, my doctoral work, I, it, I did it on dissertation on uh, increasing, increasing commitment and increasing organizational commitment. And uh, in the bottom line thesis was to increase organizational commitment, you have to understand what is the mission of the organization and then help people discover who they are, uh, their spiritual gifts, their heart, abilities, personality, experiences, and then plug it into how does it best fit the organization and then turn them loose. Let them run with it. And so they were, and they worked incredibly well together and yet they were so diverse. You had goldsmiths and perfume makers and district rulers and Levites and priests and guards and merchants and, and, and dozens of people who were just called the son of somebody. But there was a singular commitment to get the mission accomplished. Just like geese. Geese in a formation can fly 72% farther than they can all by themselves. So that's all Nehemiah was doing. There's tremendous power in cooperation. So underscore that word, cooperation. I'll use the word unity. Listen, there are a lot of things in a local church that God can tolerate. God can tolerate poor facilities or inadequate facilities. I mean, you look at the New Testament, God can even tolerate no facilities. God, God can tolerate Boring preaching. It's got to be truth. He won't tolerate that. But he can tolerate it if it's boring. He, he can tolerate music that's out of tune. He can tolerate it if it's out of style. But, and on and on and on. But there's one thing God cannot tolerate. You know what that is? Disunity. That's the one thing he cannot tolerate. Won't tolerate. I challenge you, just read the book of Acts. You go through the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts and 10 different times you're going to see the phrase and they were of one accord, they were of one accord, they were of one mind, they were of one heart, they were unified. It's crazy to think that we can pray for the power of the book of Acts until we are first united like they were in the book of Acts. 
together, united as one, the church of God can make an incredible impact on a community. That is our prayer as elders, as staff, uh, as deacons and deaconesses. That is our prayer for Parkview, that everybody gets on the breach, everybody gets to the wall, and that we are united as we do it. Number six, the principle of administration. In other words, supervision is necessary. It is necessary. Uh, you know what blows my mind about this guy, Nehemiah? You see, I mean, he's, he's a premier organizer. But in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, how many names? Anybody remember how many names there are? 74 names. And, well, Nehemiah's name is mentioned once, but it wasn't the same Nehemiah, just like there are lots of Johns in here and Steves in here. There was one Nehemiah, but he was a different Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the person of the book that we're talking about, Nehemiah, his name is never there. Never once do you see his name. And yet he is always behind the scene, supervising, walking around the ball. I, I know many of you have probably read Tom Peters' book, Passion for Excellence. He excelled at the principle management by walking around. How in the world did he know what family, what guy built this part of the wall? What section of the wall? It's because he was supervised. He was walking around. But he is never the focus. You never hear his name. I think that's incredible. Um, the people get applauded in Nehemiah chapter 3. Never the leaders. Number four, not number seven, the principle of appreciation. I think one of the whole reasons Nehemiah chapter 3 is there is to express appreciation to all those folks who gave it their all. That, that's why you have 74 names listed and they're nowhere else. 2,500 years later, we still see their names. Uh, next week, or later this week, uh, Cheryl and I get to go to hear uh, one of my favorite Favorite Christians, favorite men of all times, Gary Cook. He's the president. Now, actually, he's a chancellor. Uh, that He passed the torch to become chancellor last year. But he was the president of Dallas Baptist University for 28 years. And uh, it's an incredible Christian school. And Gary Cook is just, I mean, he is one of my models. And, and Cheryl and I have had the privilege of listening to Dr. Gary Cook talk on multiple occasions. And the amazing thing, never once in the years I've ever heard him talk has he ever talked about himself. But every time he gets up, he talks about Gary Blackburn. He talks about, you know, my son-in-law, Dan Hefner this, or so-and-so that. And it, Now, other people talk about him all the time. But I thought, it's just like Nehemiah. He never talks about himself. But he always passes the appreciation and praise onto other people. Even people you'll, you'll never see again. So develop ways to let people know that they're doing a good job. The people that you're working with are always the focus, not you, not the leader. So I want to close by giving you three real quick observations in this text. Okay, Three real quick observations. So 
Almost everybody was on the wall, right? Almost everybody. There was one guy that stood out. There was one guy, let's just say he was the MVP, he was the all-star, he was the, he was the honorable mention above all the other people there. His name was Baruch, Baruch bin Zabai, Baruch son of Zabai. And all the others, they say, they say the person's name, and then they say, Hazak, so-and-so, Hazak, but not Baruch. Baruch Zabai. And then he says, Hahara Hazak. So there was one different one. But what? So everybody else repairs, but Baruch, Hahara. In other words, he with almost a spirit of anger. Not, not anger in the way we would look at it negatively, but a positive kind of, you use the word passion, or drive, or uh, it's translated sometimes, he enthusiastically repaired. I mean, he just, there's one guy who absolutely got after it. So Nehemiah calls him out. He says, this guy really got after it with enthusiasm. Our English word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos, possessed by God. Now that's a good picture of Baruch. He was, he, he repaired, but not just repair. It was like he was possessed by God. He was so excited about it. Second observation, I love this too in verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Haloesh, the ruler in half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. I thought that was so cool uh, that Nehemiah, very uncharacteristically for this period of time that women would be mentioned, but Nehemiah doesn't right here. You know, he, he acknowledges, and they're working, they're side by side with the guys, doing the same stuff as the guys are doing, and Nehemiah recognizes that and calls attention to everybody to take note. So I thought that was really cool. Then the last thing was, the final observation is about those nobles from Tekoa. But their, verse 5, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Isn't it amazing? Over 2,500 years of believers reading the book of Nehemiah, probably hundreds of millions of people have read this book, have read the names of those who did an awesome job. And yet, all those people who have read this book, the only thing they know about the nobles of Nemoa uh, the nobles of Tekoa was they just wouldn't stoop to serve. I'm thinking, how, how tragic. What an epitaph to have that they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. But we all, Romans 14, will have to give an account of ourselves to God. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, honestly, my flesh loves to hear, hey, Jeff, good job. My flesh loves to hear that. But I'll, you know what I live for more than anything else? What I live for, what is going to excite me more than anything else is someday to hear Jesus say, Jeff, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in, many, in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I, I live for that. You know, there have been great preachers who have done wonderful messages on that. You know, playing to the audience of one is a great way to put it as well. But, but my prayer is that someday, you know, Jesus will say, boy, Jeff, 
you, you did a good, good job. You hung in there. You, you, did a, you did a good job. I pray that every single one of us would long to hear that. And I, I don't know exactly where you are, but I'll tell you what, 150 years before Nehemiah, God was expressed this desire through Ezekiel. I sought for a man among them who would build the wall and stand in the breach before me. I longed to find somebody who would run to the sounds of the gun. But I couldn't find anybody. Everybody was very well clad, but they acted like cowards. So my, my prayer for all of us, 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So, how are you doing? There are three kinds of workers in Nehemiah chapter 3. There's, there were those who worked, there were those who did enthusiastic work, and there were those who did no work. And, and I believe me, I'm not, I, absolutely, I mean, you should be engaged in some of the ministries at Parkview. We would love to help you. We'd love to help you get mobilized to do that. But more importantly for all of us, how are we doing with our next door neighbors? In every case, they were working across from neighbors. That's the wall that they were immediately called to. All of us are called to be good Samaritans to the people that God brings into our lives. And those are people that are living right around us. And I'll tell you what, they might be living in houses and that you, from first appearance of that house, it's not fallen down. But maybe inside it's filled with people and their lives are shattered. Their lives are torn apart. Their lives are empty and hollow and searching for meaning and purpose. Maybe they've lost family or wives or children or, you know, I don't know, something's going on and the walls are collapsing. Are you running to the breach? Are you allowing God to use you as his minister. That's my prayer. Let me pray for us. God, ah, your word is so true. It is so profitable. And uh, Lord, you know our hearts. And uh, we can't fool you. But Lord, um, we all sit here realizing that you're talking to us. We're not going to make excuses like the nobles did. But Lord, more than anything else, we want you to help us find our place on the wall. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to have a significant impact for you, to impact your cause, your glory. Lord, um, more than anything, even though it's nice to hear thanks from other people, like I'm sure those guys felt good when they heard Nehemiah give thanks to them. But ultimately, Lord, we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then we know it will have been worth it all. So, Lord, help us. Help us to find how we can best serve. And, Lord, I do pray if there's anybody here who in, in their gut is feeling like the need to help lead, whether it be an elder or a deacon or deaconess, that they would take that first step and, and maybe uh, even put their name down out in the, at the Connect booth or, or be a part of the introductory meeting the next hour. Um, and if not that, how can we serve? How can we use our gifts and our abilities, whatever it has, to bring you the greatest glory? Because, Lord, we are living in a world filled with people whose lives are crumbling. Help us 
to run to the sound of the guns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.